Uh, well, thanks again for um, having me this morning to, to share God's word with you. It's a great privilege. Um, in case you, you missed earlier, um, Anna and I and um, Sally and Daniel are from Petersham Baptist Church, um, and we're here this morning with you. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian home, as I'm, I'm sure uh, many um, of you here today probably did as well. Um, I'd been to church and Sunday school uh, all my life growing up. I knew all the typical answers to the questions about God and Jesus and the Bible. Um, they were the, the usual answers, actually. Um, I knew that there was a God. Um, he'd made me, and there wasn't any point trying to pretend otherwise. The problem was that as I grew older, I became more and more confused uh, about whether I was really okay with God. Particularly through high school, I became confused about that. I knew the basics of the gospel. Jesus had, had died on the cross for my sins, um, but somehow I just couldn't really be absolutely sure that that meant something for me personally. I knew that I wasn't living as I should. I was selfish and I often ignored what my conscience was telling me to do, and so I couldn't help but wonder whether I was really okay with God, whether he really accepted me. I mean, how could he when I knew that I was so sinful? Then when I finished high school, uh, I moved down to Sydney to, to study engineering at university. And I became involved in a number of uh, Christian communities that were really important to me at the time. First of all, there was my sister and brother-in-law up in Chatswood, and they'd been a wonderful example of trusting in Jesus and, and living for the gospel. Uh, and there was a guy's Bible study group that my brother-in-law was involved in, and I went along with that, and that was a great influence. There was Flo Harris Lodge, uh, which is next door to Petersham Baptist Church, where I, I lived and um, got to meet a lot of uh, Christian people my own age and really talk, talk to them about what it actually meant to be a Christian and talk about the questions. And uh, the church next door, PBC, they taught the gospel week in and week out and it started to sink in and I was learning to worship God and, and study the Bible for myself. And finally, there was a Christian student group at uni uh, which um, had Bible talks at lunchtime and Bible study groups to get involved in. And I started studying the Bible and hearing it taught in a way that really stretched my mind. And, and it wasn't long before everything suddenly clicked in my mind and in my heart. I was walking home from uni one day after hearing another Bible talk at lunch, and suddenly the, the simple truth was so clear to me. I was completely forgiven and accepted by God simply because of Jesus, simply by trusting in him. I didn't need to wait to become perfect to sort out all the mess in my life uh, because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in my place. I'd finally come to appreciate that simple truth of the gospel. I'm justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ and not by anything that I have or haven't done. This was a really great turning point in my life, a really significant time. And God's held on to me uh, since then and taught me more and more about serving him. But along the way... I've still struggled with being completely confident that everything's okay between me and God, that I'm, I'm truly forgiven and accepted and everything's as it should be. You see, I'm still sinful. I can still be selfish. I can still fail, disappoint people, ignore God's word. And sometimes I just can't help but wonder, is everything really okay? Am I really okay and accepted by God? And I think that this is probably a struggle that many of us here can relate to. Now, uh, in a reformed church like this, I'm sure um, that many of you, um, you know, if not all of you, have come to know that basic truth of the gospel. 
that, that wonderful truth that you're justified in Christ, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. But at the same time, I think that many of us, whether you've been a Christian for a couple of months or, or for 50 years, you can still relate to that ongoing struggle to be confident that everything's okay between you and God. And that's really the question that I want us to focus on this morning. What does it really mean to be justified by faith alone? How does it relate to our obedience to God or our selfishness and our failures? And why do some passages in the Bible really emphasize the importance of obedience and good works? Uh, There's that verse uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says to the people who have been listening, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the, the only time that the phrase justified by faith alone actually appears in the Bible is in James chapter 2, where he seems to be denying that. So it does kind of raise the question, are we actually justified by faith alone, or is it more complicated? And, and if we are, well, who, who really is justified by faith alone, and what's the difference between someone who is and someone who isn't? Well, despite all these questions and issues, uh, I'm convinced that we really are justified before God simply by trusting in Jesus. And we're going to look at some of the passages that help us understand that and be confident of that. And we're also going to flesh out what it looks like to actually trust in Jesus. Now, as we turn to the Bible to understand um, this question, there are lots of really great Bible passages we can turn to. Uh, But I want to focus, first of all, on Ephesians chapter 2, that passage that was just read out for us. And there are three main things I want us to understand and appreciate from this passage. So if you've got it open, that would be really helpful. The first thing that we need to notice to properly understand justification by faith is that we need to put it in the context of of our sinfulness as humans and God's gracious salvation. If you look over verses 1 to 3, you can see Paul reminding us of our natural condition and standing before God. We're hopelessly sinful. In fact, he says, dead in our sin. We're going after our own selfish impulses, and along with everyone else, we're objects of God's wrath. And we really need to start here to understand God's grace. We've majorly stuffed up, and we just can't seem to fix the problem on our own. But, if you have a look at verse 4, but because of his great love and mercy... God has, has made us alive in Christ. He saved us by his grace. See, we don't just believe in um, justification by faith because of one or two verses here or there in the Bible. But because of the teaching of the whole Bible, that's really summarized here in Ephesians chapter 2. That we as humans are fundamentally sinful. Uh, and, and we couldn't save ourselves if we tried, but it's by God's grace and his mercy and his love that he's, he's reached down into our sinfulness and, and he's, he's rescued us from our sin and guilt and death. Now, the second thing that um, I want us to appreciate from Ephesians 2 is faith is not the basis of our justification, but it's the means of it. If you have a look at verse 8 in particular, it says, For it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. You see, we're not saved by faith. Faith, my own faith, 
is not some magical power that kind of is righteous and justifies me. God's grace is the awesome, powerful, amazing thing that, that reaches down and actually saves me. But if you ask, well, how does God's grace save us? Well, God graciously saves us on the one hand uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. That's how God has actually dealt with our sin and made it possible for us to be forgiven. But on the other hand, God saves us through his spirit, giving us faith, bringing us to trust in Jesus on our behalf. See, faith is kind of like the channel that brings the blessings of Christ into our lives. It's, it's like a rope that ties us to Jesus and enables us to benefit from his death and resurrection on our behalf. And so faith in Jesus is the means of our salvation, not the basis of it. And it's important to notice that even this faith, um, that's the means of our salvation, is a gift from God. Did you notice that in verse 8? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It just reinforces that point, we're saved by grace in Jesus through faith. And finally, the third thing is that we really are justified by faith alone and not by works or anything from ourselves. So Paul explicitly states in verses 9 and 10 that we're not saved by works, uh, rather we're saved in order to do good works. Good works are not the means of our salvation, but rather the purpose of it. So Paul's stressing that the whole package of salvation is a gift from God, and God makes it a gift so that no one can boast. He wants the sole rights to the glory and praise of our salvation. It's all him and it's nothing from us. And so God saves us through faith alone, in Jesus alone, because faith by its very nature points away from us and, and to Jesus as the one who saved us. If our, our good works or our godly habits were somehow the means of us being declared righteous, then we'd be tempted to boast in those works, to look to ourselves and, and be confident in our own good works, claim some of the glory for ourselves. But no, this gracious salvation, this right relationship with God, it comes from God alone through faith alone. Now having started with Ephesians 2, uh, it's helpful to just have a quick um, look or listen to a few other key passages um, that really have these same points brought out really clearly. I don't want to comment on these passages much. I just want to read them out and for you to listen to them and hear the same truths there clearly. So first of all, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 24, um, says these same things really clearly. Paul says there, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2, 15 to 16, is another uh, really important uh, passage on this. There Paul says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one will be justified. So you can see that what Paul says about um, faith and works and justification uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says 
really clearly elsewhere throughout the Bible. We're justified not through works of the law, not through anything from ourselves, any good deeds or habits, but through faith on the basis of the death of Jesus on our behalf. Now to finish off this first section and make sure we've really kind of soaked up this point, I want us to think back to that story that the kids talk about the tax collector and the Pharisee. Um, So I hope you're listening. Now remember that the Pharisee, the religious leader uh, who devoted himself to studying the scriptures, uh, when he stood up to pray, he thanked God that he wasn't caught up in sin and wickedness and that he faithfully kept the law. But Jesus said this guy didn't go home right with God. Instead it was the scummy tax collector. He probably didn't read the scriptures very much because he probably felt too guilty. Well, he was the one who went home justified before God. And why is this the case? Why could it possibly be a bad thing uh, to stand up and, and thank God for all the, way that he's, all the ways that he's helped you turn away from sin? Because this man was trusting in what God had done in his life for his, his confidence before God. He was pointing to all the good things in his character and behavior, and he was saying, thanks God, I know that I'll be all right on judgment day uh, because I'm a good person. You've helped me to be someone who's got my life together, so I'll be okay. And that's why we say that we're justified by faith alone. We don't just say that we're justified by grace. It's by grace through faith. See, the Pharisee would have been happy to say that he was justified by God's grace. It's just that it was God's grace working in his life. But we know that we're justified by grace through faith alone, solely because of the death of Jesus on our behalf. Now, I wonder what good things that God has graciously done in your life that you might be tempted to depend on for your justification before God. Perhaps you've never realized that that's kind of what you've actually been doing most of your life. You're not a bad person, and you recognize that God is the one who's enabled you um, to, you know, to put away bad habits and things like that. And so you've, but you've been looking to your own goodness uh, to, to feel confident before God. Perhaps you started out as a Christian knowing that it's by faith alone, through Jesus, that you're accepted and, and forgiven by God. But then as time has gone by, you've developed a habit of of looking to your own habits, your own character, your own religious practices for assurance before God that everything's okay, that you're accepted by him. Or maybe you've done the same thing, but you've actually come up with the opposite conclusion. You've never really thought things were okay between you and God. Uh, you, You just can't imagine being accepted by God into his presence because you keep looking at your own life and your own thoughts and your own failures, and you know it's just not good enough. God couldn't possibly accept you. Well, wherever we are on that spectrum, no matter how much or how little God has done to transform our lives, we've got to look away from ourselves and look to Jesus for our justification. Now, as I shared earlier, when I first realized this and appreciated it it, and let it sink into my heart and mind, it was like a huge weight being lifted off my shoulders. It was massive. Finally, I could stop waiting for God to sort out all the problems in my life and and to make me perfect and get rid of all the selfishness before I knew that I was forgiven and accepted. I realized I was perfect and innocent simply because of what Jesus had done for me, simply by receiving that by faith. 
It doesn't matter whether I think I'm perfect or whether you think I'm perfect or even if God knows that um, there's stuff I need to work on in my life. I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And this is the wonderful truth of the gospel and we should all rejoice in this. And some of you uh, may well have come here today never really being sure if you're right with God, never really being sure whether you've made the cut. Please look away from yourself and look to Jesus, trusting in him that you can be justified. Don't be trapped into thinking you've got to sort yourself out or to even wait for God to sort yourself out, sort you out before you believe that you're forgiven. The tax collector didn't sort his life out first. He just prayed to God and trusted in his mercy. Now, on the other hand, if you think maybe you're tempted to follow the example of the Pharisee, do the same thing. Look away from yourself. Even though you might thank God for everything that he's done in your life, look away from yourself and trust in Jesus alone. What about all those tricky questions that I raised at the start about obedience and effort and how that relates to faith? What about the fact that apparently in James 2 he seems to deny this stuff that I've been going on about? And if what I've said so far is true, then what's the place of obedience in the Christian life? Well, I want us to have a think about what saving faith really looks like and how it relates to our life. We're going to start by looking at James chapter 2 because he's tackling that very question that we're asking and then we'll reflect on what that really looks like to trust in Jesus. So if you want to um, flip to James 2 in your Bibles, that would be helpful. And I'll read it out. Now firstly, in verses uh, 14 to 19, the point that James wants to make is that faith that doesn't flow into action is dead and useless. It's not genuine trust in the gospel. It doesn't unite us to Christ and it doesn't lead to justification before God. Have a read with me from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. That last statement in verse 19 is really quite significant, isn't it? You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You see, saving faith in Jesus, it's not just intellectual assent. When the Bible talks about trust, hope, and faith in Jesus and the Word of God, it's not the same thing as just saying, yep, I believe there's a God. I'm I'm convinced that Jesus rose from the dead seems to be the best explanation. I believe. Because even the demons could agree with you on all those points. It's a personal trust that rejoices in the gospel and it flows into action. Faith that's just intellectual assent is dead. That's what James is saying. Now then in verses 20 to 26, James reflects on a couple of episodes from the Old Testament that make it quite clear that our our faith and action are working together in our justification and that faith without action is dead. 
So uh, read with me from verse 20. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his action were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now I think in this part of his letter, James has very carefully chosen two stories from the Old Testament um, that on the one hand both show that saving faith naturally flows into action, but on the other hand they both show that it's not the, the actions themselves that are the basis of our righteousness before God. So you have a think about those two stories. We read one of them earlier in the service. Uh, in that first one, in Genesis chapter 22, um, God tells Abraham that he's got to take his son Isaac, his only son whom he loves, that his family is supposed to come from, and he's got to sacrifice him on the altar as a burnt offering. And Abraham obeys. He, he even gets to the point of tying Isaac down, putting the wood on top of him, reaching up with a knife to kill him before God calls out, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. It was just a test to see that he really feared and trusted in God. And in the the second story that James refers to, it's in Joshua chapter 2. It's about Rahab, uh, who was a prostitute, um, maybe an innkeeper. And she lived in the city of Jericho, uh, which is the next city to face destruction as the Israelite army was coming into the land of Canaan. And Joshua had sent two spies in to check out the land, and especially Jericho. And Rahab took these spies into her home and she hid them on her roof um, from her king who had heard about the spies that had come in. And then she secretly let them out a window to escape after having told some of the men of Jericho that they'd gone off in a different direction. And the reason that Rahab does this is because she's heard about the destruction of the other cities. The fact that the Lord, the God of the Israelites, is the true God of heaven and earth and has given this land to the Israelite people. So she throws in her lot with them and she bargains for her family to be spared. Now James says that these two people, Abraham and Rahab, were justified by what they did. But if you think about it for a moment, what did they actually do? Abraham tied down his son and was about to kill him. Uh, Rahab committed treason to her king and lied to to the men that he sent. So when you you think about the actions in and of themselves, uh, they're not very righteous, are they? They're not not the the kind of actions you'd be proud of and depend on. And Abraham and Rahab were never considered righteous because their life was full of righteous deeds. And yet everything they did flowed out of, of faith in God and his word, convictions about who God was. Abraham truly believed the promises that God had given him about Isaac. He would father a great nation through that boy. And he had a personal trust in God and his word, so that when God asked him to sacrifice his son, his faith led to obedience, even though it seemed absolutely crazy. And even though her character was um, 
you know, and lifestyle were messy and questionable, Rahab could clearly see who the true God was and what his plans were. Her fear and convictions about God and his, his plans led her to know that her only hope was amongst his people. This is no time to stick by her current king, who was opposed to God, so she switched her allegiance to the God of Israel. And, and all her actions flowed out of that allegiance. And so James says that for these unrighteous actions, they were considered righteous. Now to finish off this morning, I want to reflect on these stories and some of the other passages that we've um, heard today and see what they teach us about the nature of saving faith. First of all, one thing is clear. Saving faith is not just an intellectual conviction. We don't want to fool ourselves into thinking that the faith of demons unites us to Christ. So what is saving faith? Well, I think from all the passages we've looked at or heard read out today, there's, uh, I want to highlight four particular characteristics that stand out. Thinking back over James 2, uh, over the, the story Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and even back to Psalm 73 that was read out at the start of the service. Uh, I think real, genuine faith shows itself in some key ways. Firstly, thinking back over the tax collector who went home right with God, we can see that faith is a humble dependence on God, and particularly on his mercy. Faith is acknowledging to ourselves that we just don't have what it takes, turning away from ourselves and depending solely on God for everything. It's basically throwing ourselves on God's kindness and grace and living a life of total dependence on him. Secondly, it's a confident trust in the word of God. Reflecting on that story about Abraham taking Isaac up to sacrifice him, we can see the importance of taking God at his word. Absolutely. See, a personal trust in God results in obedience, even in the face of confusion. We don't always understand what God is throwing at us in life and how, how it could possibly be the best thing for us to trust God's wisdom in every situation. But the more we trust his character and the truth of his word, the more we'll be inspired to obey. If he promises that we'll be raised from the dead, we will be. If he promises that we're righteous before him, simply through trusting in Christ, we are. If he promises that it's better to give to others rather than keep for ourselves, then it really is. Now thirdly, saving faith is an allegiance to Jesus before any other God, person or thing in this world. It's an allegiance that inspires obedience to his word rather than obedience to our own desires or wisdom or any of the other gods that this world can put before us. It's a recognition that Jesus is the true Lord of this world and so we bow the knee and we throw our lot in with him and his plans and his purposes. It's, it's an allegiance that seeks his honour above our own honour or anything else in this world. And finally, the faith that justifies is a satisfaction in Jesus as all we could ever want or need. It's desiring him before anything else. If you think back to the psalm we heard at the beginning of the service, Psalm 73, the psalmist had fallen into that trap of thinking that the greedy and selfish people, they were the ones who really had the good stuff in life. But then he remembered, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, trusting in Jesus is being satisfied in Jesus. It's knowing just how valuable the love of God in Jesus is so that other joys and riches in this world just seem insignificant in comparison. So who's the justified person? What's the difference between someone who's actually okay with God and someone who isn't? Well, as we've seen in Ephesians and in other places, it's the person who simply believes in Jesus and so freely receives uh, the justification God made possible through his death on the cross. And we've seen that this person humbly depends on Jesus rather than themselves. They've got confidence in the truth and the power of God's word. They display an allegiance to Jesus before anything else in, in this life. And they're satisfied in the joy of knowing Jesus. Now all of us who believed in Jesus, we struggle in all these things. We're not perfect. And yet by God's grace we, we carry on. We're not trying to establish grounds for confidence in these actions. We're simply trying to live out in every part of our lives that our only hope is in Christ. If you'd like to pray with me. Father God, we want to acknowledge that um, we're just not good enough on our own. There's nothing in, our, in ourselves, in our actions, in our lives that is um, worthy of being considered innocent before you. And so we thank you and praise you that by your grace you've made it possible for us to be forgiven in Christ. Simply by trusting in Jesus on our behalf, we're considered righteous. Pray that you will really help us to understand that and appreciate that and that will set us free from looking to ourselves for confidence. And we also pray, Father, that you will transform us by this trust, that we truly will trust in Jesus, we'll look away from ourselves or anything else in this world that will live our lives of trust in Jesus and allegiance to him, satisfaction in him, confidence in him, and that um, you will keep us faithful to Jesus till the end. And we pray this in his name. Amen.